Welcome to episode 82 of Valp H2 Guard American, an American based English language Valp H2 Guard fan podcast for our views are unofficial, uninformed, usually unprepared. This is episode 82. Like I just mentioned, I am your host, Travis. You can reach me at Hazelfish. You can reach us on Twitter at Valpy Americana, online at our website of the same name. Joining me this episode is Matt. You can reach him at Sale Racer. Later on, we've got Ted. Uh, Matt, are you jealous that we've got another co-host on the episode this week? I'm not jealous of another co-host because I know nobody can bring things down as far as I can. <laughs> but I am jealous of why you're talking to Ted. This is true. We've got shout outs this week. We've got the match, news, headlines, some questions, comments, and finally predictions with Ted. I'm just going to break the ice right now. Ted's heading to Stuttgart. Matt, do you love him? Do you hate him? Or are you just plain jealous of him? It's total, total jealousy. It's 100%. You bastard. <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> Okay, so here we go. We're into part one, our usual shout out. So we got the tip spiel winner. Sporting director Doug won his ninth time, and it's a three-person race between him, myself, and Steven, mostly because there's only three piece persons actually still in this race that are participating. <laughs> so me, Steven, and Doug. So we got that going for us. Uh, fantasy winner Yen still has a commanding 250-point lead above Doug and Village Footy, but Fustal FC won. By almost 30 points, whoever you are, congratulations, because I'm not sure, but, you know, that's pretty cool. Uh, Village Footy, speaking of, they're in the top three of our uh, fantasy Bundesliga. Give them a follow on Twitter and listen to them on YouTube. Rory is a big Valpage supporter, and he's given us a lot of love the last couple of weeks, and we can always use a little you know, white and red love that is out there. I'm going to give a shout-out to Doug and to myself. Travis, we're looking to start a local OFC in the Cleveland-Youngstown area. So if you have any questions about that and you happen to be in the Cleveland or Youngstown area, you know, please reach out to us. Uh, shout-out randomly to Wrexham. They were just promoted to League Two of the English system. Um, this is big on Twitter, big on the news waves. Matt, how much do you care about this? I, I watched the Welcome to Wrexham show that's on Hulu and FX. I encourage anybody who hasn't seen it to watch it because you're obviously soccer fans. It's about a struggling soccer team, something we can all identify with. Um, <laughs> but it's a really kind of fascinating human interest story that's really, it, it's wonderful and it makes you feel good about life and the world. And I'm very excited for Wrexham and the people who support that club and getting back into the um the EFL out of the fifth division into the fourth division. This is huge for them because the English football league only supports the first four divisions. So being in the fifth division, they got absolutely no money from the EFL to support their organization. So a lot of teams in the fifth division are semi-pro. They have volunteer players um, who aren't pulling a salary. And so it's really, really hard for teams to get back out of there and get competitive because it takes a lot of money. And so Wrexham making it back up into the EFL could be huge for that club and that community. And it's been a lot of fun to see how excited they are about all this happening. I wonder if they're going to play that uh, startup team that that Ted Lasso guy coaches. <laughs> in England. I, I don't follow the British league too much, but I hear he's a big deal. He's huge. Okay. Changing the game. <laughs> Val of Bay Bingo, I forgot to post it. So apologies to anybody who actually plays that. If you're 80 years old and a old folks home, I will post it next week. Pod prediction champ, 
Matt, this is big. Austin actually won with six wins and three losses. You came in second. You're still in the lead, though. You extended your lead. You've got 116 overall wins to my 111 wins. Here's the big news, though. The Valpe Frauen, for the first time since we've been talking about them, won eight to nothing. Our streak Huge. of negativity is over. They're second in the Oberliga and only eight points behind the leader. Unfortunately, only one team makes it out. So, you know, here's hoping they make it out. Um, Matt, we've got one more shout out. It's the OFC man of the match. Endo with 15 of the possible 18 votes got the shout out for the man of the match. So congratulations to Wartaro there. A lot of stuff happening, Matt. A lot of shout outs. Any shout outs you want to throw out there before we move on to part two? Uh, to Doug and Steven for keeping you from tips feel glory. Uh, to, to Ted for actually making it back over to Schwabia and hopefully bringing the boys some good luck, and then to Rexham for making it up. I'm going to repeat what I just said in the introduction. You bastards. All of you. <laughs> okay, here we go. Part two. Free game. So we were talking about Augsburg last week, and we were both kind of positive, although I texted you right before the match. It's like, I'm changing my wager to Augsburg. I like how I do that every week. It's like on Sunday, I'm super positive. Then by Friday, I'm super negative and, and change my wager. How do you feel about Friday matches, by the way? Because the, the good thing is you can kind of, if the result goes well, you can say, all right, we're sitting in a pretty good spot. But if the result goes poorly, you're kind of on nerves the whole time. How do you like Friday matches in the Bundesliga? When I had a more flexible job, I liked the Friday matches because I could line some stuff up so that I was doing um, tasks for work that allowed me to mostly watch the game and just kind of keep an eye on some other stuff. Now that I'm in a less flexible job, I don't like it because I have to focus on other things and can't watch the game, <laughs> but I, I still get all the alerts and I refuse to just media blackout myself for the match. So I end up kind of half watching it on like another computer off to the side. And it's, I don't know. It's not as enjoyable as hanging out with the discord guys on a Saturday morning. Yeah. Matt's a spy, everybody. If you're trying to understand what his job is, that's, <laughs> that's what it is there. Yeah. So Augsburg, didn't have a win in their last five. They were 14th on the table, but they had had six wins in their last 11 at home. So they were a pretty strong uh, home team against us, I should say. So now in 24 matches between the two of these teams, it's it, just even Steven. 11 wins, 11 losses, two draws for both sides. Uh, we were both pretty positive going into this one. This is kind of how we're going to frame this a little bit, though. Uh, it, this was a really tough match to break down. So let's just... Let's just think about this really quick before we even break it down. Is the glass half full after the, this result or is the glass half empty? What say you? The uh, glass was poorly engineered. <laughs> it's the wrong amount of liquid. It, I don't know. I kind of don't know what to do with this game. I'm a little disappointed because I feel like we should have gotten a better result against Augsburg. Um but watching the way the match went, you kind of, yeah, okay. And then seeing how the rest of the scores wound out for the weekend, like that's, so the other scores makes the draw not as bad, but would have made the win all that much better because it would have been a huge bump for us. So I feel like it's a lost opportunity, um, but at least we didn't lose. Yeah, it's crazy because of the relegation candidates, the only club that got a result of any kind was us. 
everybody else fell apart when last week everybody else matched us. It was just a weird feeling because on Friday I was actually super down. I was, I was kind of in the dumps about that result because you're like, ah, we gave up. But here's where I want to go with this is it was deja vu's of earlier in the season. We gave up an early goal because of an early mistake, and then we're chasing the game valiantly for the rest of the match. And I do want to say valiantly because the guys, they try so hard despite some deficiencies that we'll talk about in a minute. And it just reminded me of the first 10 or 11 matches under, uh, uh, under Reno, where just for whatever reason, something happened that made us immediately on our heels here. My overall impression of this match was this is the first one under Honus where I was like, oh my goodness, this is exactly what I saw under Reno back in September, October, November. It almost makes you think that the manager doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> that this is just our destiny uh yeah that that goal sucked it was really unfortunate it was a big kick in the pants and just a total brain fart um to go in but after after about i don't know five or six minutes after the goal i felt like the boys settled in and really started to take control of the game and i thought for long stretches of it we owned the match and the field was tilted decidedly um in our favor it took until Legendo made a Legendo move to make it count, but it's promising to see um, that we were able to control the situation if not finish. I, I kind of want to go back to that situation though. Is that I watched it a little bit more today because I actually had a little bit of time and I was trying to figure out okay who was at fault for that that early goal because I, I initially thought it was Anton. Who was at fault for that? And I read some stuff online that maybe Sosa was at fault because he allowed the cross to happen. And then as you watch it, Zagadu is kind of stuck in the middle a little bit. And I want to talk about Zagadu for a second because I think he's the perfect representation of this club right now. Is it strikes me is that no matter who the coach is, whether it's Reno, Labadia, whatever, there are some institutional issues with this club with these players on this team and nobody can coach it out of them. I just, I'm sorry. We've had four coaches. Nobody can coach it out of them at this point. And what Kami is He starts slow in every single match. He makes a mistake in every single match, but then he gets up to speed in every single match and he becomes a really good player in every single match. And I think he is the perfect representation of this club because that's what I've seen the last, I don't know, three years with this club. So I, I don't know if anything caught your attention. What struck me is that no matter who the coach is, there are some institutional weaknesses. And I don't want this to be an attack on Honus. I don't want this to be an attack on the players. I think Honus has done very well focusing on the strengths of what these guys have, which Bruno could not do. But there just seems to be something institutional that happens no matter who's in charge, no matter who's on the pitch. Yeah. And it's, it's so consistent and it's so consistently the same thing that I think there's a lot of merit to your argument. I, I wonder a little bit how much um, lack of leadership from the players is contributing to this. Cause we've got Endo who we know and love. And I think Endo's a phenomenal captain, but by all reports, he's not the most vocal 
captain. He's a lead by example guy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's fine. Um, and great even for a lot of reasons, but you need somebody else on the team to be that vocal dude who will get in somebody's face and say, you're not doing your best. You're better than this. You're not pulling your weight. Stop screwing up. Uh, I don't feel like Endo's that guy. And I don't know if we have that on the team and having somebody Daxo going on the field and knowing like, Oh, Dino's going to eat me for lunch tomorrow if I don't get my head in this game right away, that could make a big difference. Do you think Baltimore Anton's that guy? I think he could be, he'd be a great one to be that guy, but I don't, I don't know. I don't get the sense that he is and not, uh, not reading all the German language coverage for the team. Maybe I'm missing some nuance there. Uh, and somebody like uh, Hannes could illuminate this for us, but I, I just, I feel a little bit like that's something that you that a player can do that a coach can't do, or it won't have the same impact if the coach does it. And I just don't feel like Endo's that guy. So what you're saying is we need Holger Badstuber to come back. I am absolutely not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> but that was kind of his role, right? Right, right, right. He called all the shots from the back, and that's what I think Gregor Cobell did when he was with us. You know, back in the day, I do want to disagree with you on this. This thing is that outside of Furich's attempt at the 12th minute, where I think he should have passed it, but whenever you say Chris Furich and he should have passed it, you could have talked about almost any play. Yeah. <laughs> in the match. And then Endo and Seiru had that combined whiff around the 16th minute that looked oh, like it was yes. a goal. I thought that was a moment. Uh, it just, in my mind, it seemed like whatever Augsburg was doing the first half, we had no answer for. And we looked on our heels where I will agree with you is in the second half when those subs came in and they were immediate subs, it looked like we had them on their heels and the whole game changed. So let's talk about the subs for a little bit is it seemed to me that everything kind of changed at halftime. Furich was out. Enzo was out. Cool. Bali was in. Silas was in. Even Borna Sosa was pulled out the 70th minute, which was shocking, I think, to most of mm-hmm. us. It was put in. What were your thoughts on Honus's movement in the subs? Because he had the guys warming up 10 minutes into this match. And usually those guys don't warm up on the sideline until about 20, 25 minutes in. I love getting them ready to go early. And if nothing else, send the message to the guys on the field. If you're not getting it done, your replacement's ready. I, I like I like getting them warmed up. I, I had no problem with any of the substitutions. I'm still not 100% sold on Koulibaly, but Furch wasn't getting it done out there, so why not? Tomash for Sosa one is very curious because that's, I I don't know. It, it worked. Um, I thought Tomash played well while he was there, uh, but that's an interesting sub, and I, it makes me wonder if there was something Sosa was doing that, the, the coach was upset with or was not doing that he was being asked to do. I don't know. It's, it's, it was an interesting move. Yeah. It, it, Kicker put out an article basically when Sosa does, uh, I shouldn't say this when Sosa, when the club does well, Sosa is a key part of it. But when the club does poorly, Sosa is one of the reasons for that. And Honus made a quick hook because he saw things were going poorly, but that was kind of an interesting take on this and, and going poorly against Augsburg. Here's where, I kind of want to go back to what we thought about the match a little bit is that I think most of us were disappointed with the result. Cause you're like Augsburg, they blow, right? They're a no nothing team. They don't even belong in the Bundesliga. They play really dirty, really tactical football. And here's where I want to take a step back and say, I agree with all of that. 
but I also think it's very easy to hate a team, which I think I'm hating Augsburg, but respect a team because I do respect they know who they are and they do what they do. And the fouls they had in the second half, they weren't even subtle. They were legit. I'm going to pull you by your shoulder and throw you to the ground. They had five yellows to our two yellows. Let's talk about that just for a second. I I don't think we should have won this game. I honestly don't. I think Augsburg was going to just throw everything at us. We weren't ready for that. Um, I think a draw was actually a pretty good result. So let's talk about two things. Is Was the draw a bad result? And two, what are your thoughts on the way Augsburg plays, how they play, why are, why do they exist? <laughs> I I think the draw is fair. Um, I think we should have won. I think we had more chances. Stop me if you heard this before. Had we finished one or two of our good chances in front of the net. This is episode um, one of right? <laughs> <laughs> So that, like the opportunities were there and we didn't seize on them, which is kind of the story of Stuttgart for the last two or three years. Um so I don't know that I'm not real upset with the draw, I guess, but I think we should have won. Um, the way that Augsburg played got more and more frustrating for me as the game went on. And there was a horse collar. Uh, NFL fans will know exactly what I'm talking about. There was a horse collar late in the second half that would have gotten somebody ejected from an NFL game. Guy grabbed on to the spot where it says Stuttgart in the back of the collar and just ripped backwards. And if you're going to let that go and he got a yellow, but that should have been a straight red. It's dangerous. It was unsporting. There's no place for it. There was not even the pretense of it being a soccer move, which some of these professional fouls, it's like, Oh, I'm kind of going for the ball, but I'm going to step in front of you and trip you like, okay. This wasn't even that. The dude was three feet behind our player, grabbed onto him, ripped him down. Like that, that's in it. That there's, there's no part of that that should be in the game. So that was terrible. I, you, having the grudging respect, I got, I've got that for Union Berlin at this point. And I'm on record as not liking Union. Um, but Union play a solid, compact, defensive absorb all your punches and then hit you when you're not paying attention because you're trying to catch your breath kind of situation. Augsburg just feel like they're out there kicking dirt at you and waiting for you to do something about it. They feel like a schoolyard bully. And I don't appreciate that. It seemed like there were 17 guys in Augsburg kits on the pitch. And I don't know if that pitch is smaller than any other pitch in the Bundesliga. It seemed small. It seemed compact. It seemed like there was a ton of those guys out there. Like you said, they were just, schoolyard throwing us on the ground and I really didn't pay attention to it in the first half but I can see why they win at home more than they win on the road if you build into a match like that where you're that physical and some of those plays even the announcer to your point said for that particular yellow card he's like yeah that could have been a red card and most German announcers are like yeah, let everything go. It's, it's it's all good. Didn't he say that he thought it was more of a dark orange than a yellow? Which <laughs> yes, he did. Is a classically understated way of saying that should yeah. have been a straight red. Beautifully said. Yeah. It as it what was crazy is as the match was going on, Augsburg, who is in a far better position than we are, started to park the bus. They, yeah. they they started to just defend with everybody they had. 
and you're kind of like, wait a minute, you guys have like 30 some points. What, what are you doing? So at that point, you know, we got the long ball from Tiago into Endo and I was able to get a scruffy goal into the box. Here's what I want to talk about Endo for a minute. That guy is, seems like he's always able, able to overcome whatever mishap or bad luck happens to him early or in the match. He's like a Ulysses character in some kind of Greek <laughs> mythic story where he he's able to overcome the mistake. And he was definitely able to do it here. It's funny though, because the last couple of matches, Endo's been all over the place where some of his touches haven't been as good as we're used to. Um, we always wonder about this with him over the last three years is, is the gas tank, full with this guy because he runs at a, a just top level all the time. What are your thoughts on, on Endo both good and bad after this match? I have nothing but love for Wataru Endo, but you've got to wonder with a senior player, he's 30 years old. He's been doing this for a while. He's getting asked to do a lot for his club. He's getting asked to do a lot for his country. How much is all of the, activity starting to wear on them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it'd be nice if we had the luxury of being able to rest him a little bit now and then um but we don't he's the most consistent and most effective player on our team and if we sit him we have a giant hole in the midfield enormous hole and let's not forget he has four kids at home too and as you and i know <laughs> that's that's deflating I, too I'm more tired now just thinking about poor Endo and having four kids on top of the workload he's got every day at Stuttgart. Do you imagine like when he comes home from the practice or the match, and his four kids are like, yeah, dad, we don't care. We need you to do <laughs> this. Lego needs to be built, buddy. Let's go. I need help with my math homework. <laughs> no wonder what Toro's so tired all the time. He looks exhausted. All right. So the match ends one, one, um, what are your thoughts on this? Is the glass half empty? That was kind of the theme we were using on Twitter. Or is it half full? Context is a beautiful thing. After 72 hours from the result of that match to where we're at here Sunday night, half empty, half full. So I'm going to go half full. And the reason I'm going half full is because we've got a win followed by two draws, which is better than three losses. And it feels a lot like the team is starting to get their legs back under them and is are moving in the right direction. And we have a, a slate coming up of games that are reasonable for us to think we should be getting decent results in. And if we get a couple results in a couple weeks, we could be looking a lot better than we are right now. Cause really we're only two points behind Bochum, who's sitting in 15th. We're only four points behind Hoffenheim at 14th. And we've got a significantly better goal differential than Bochum. And we're not far off from Hoffenheim. So a couple wins with those, and one of those is against Hoffenheim. If we could beat Hoffenheim, that'd be huge. And if we can get another result or two, while Bochum and Hoffenheim, both of whom have to play Bayern, I think, in the coming weeks, this we could be it's reasonable to think we could be sitting in 14th place uh at the end of next month <laughs> how crazy is it too when you would think playing Bayern was a clear-cut win for us <laughs> Bayern decides to go in the toilet for the first time in a decade <laughs> this and, year. 
as a fan of a team in the relegation zone who needs Bayern to beat those teams, that sucks. As a human being um, who exists on this planet, I say death to Bayern and anybody who can beat them as a win for society as a whole. Yeah, this is a definitely difficult time for us right now. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Let's, Matt, move on to news and headlines and questions. What do you say? Let's go. All right, so you just mentioned in the previous segment the big news is that the title race is heating up. Dortmund is actually a point ahead of Bayern. Bayern is just a bit of a dumpster fire right now. If you can be a dumpster fire and still be in second place, any quick thoughts on the title race? Nobody that listens to this podcast actually cares, but do you care? Do any of our listeners know what a title race is? Oh, title race? Yes, we do. <laughs> I care because I'm sick of the narrative that uh, the Bundesliga is a one-team league and it's Bayern and a bunch of other teams. So anybody but Bayern winning the championship is a win for all of us and a win for the league and the perception that it's a highly competitive league, which it is. Um, So Bayern not winning um, means the rest of us win. It's a win for Bayern too. Let's be honest. Is If... Bayern just steamrolls this league every single year. It hurts their brand. Maybe not a lot, but it puts a little bit of a dent in it. If if there is a challenge, Bayern has always responded to challenges. And they've mm-hmm. always gotten better after those challenges. And maybe you could argue is one of the reasons they are the Hollywood just disaster that they are now is because they've become complacent. And being challenged is going to force them to get back to what they do, which is win all the time. So, listen, I my hope is that Bayern wins out and Dortmund wins out. And that way everybody gets what they want. We get Bayern beaten up on those teams we need them to beat on. And we also get a new Bundesliga champion, which I really think this league desperately needs. Yeah, I, I love that plan. I love a new Bundesliga champion. I also love seeing Bayern uh, panic flail a little bit firing a very good coach in the middle of a very good season because it wasn't very good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, they've not been dominant in Champions League for a couple of years, which if they're always winning the Bundesliga, the expectation then is that they do really, really well in Champions League. And that's not been the case. So I think if Dortmund and Union and Freiburg can, and I hate to say it, but Leipzig can become consistent challengers to the Bavarians, that's good for the league and good for all of us. It would be amazing, despite your hatred of them, if Union Berlin was the one to able to dethrone them a bit. I Dor- Dorman's easy answer because they're see they seem over the last decade and a half to be the easy answer. But if see Union Berlin, I almost think it would be rough for us because it would go to something you and I talked about a couple episodes ago about how time has kind of passed some clubs by. And I feel like we're waving at the future. Yeah. <laughs> and we're one of those clubs in the past. Uh, and Union and Freiburg and Mainz of all teams are the clubs of the future. Uh, but there is something special about seeing some new blood get that uh, Meister shot. I would honestly, I would love to see Union take it because that would be somebody who hasn't won it in the last 20 years winning it which is even more awesome than just not Bayern 
Yeah, yeah. The, the, the next story up here is that ZVW Simeon Kramer wrote a couple interesting articles. And the one I want to throw to your attention is something that Flabby Viking threw to our attention. So Flabby, thank you for this. So he wrote an article about Honus and why he's working so well with Valpe. And I'm going to throw some quotes at you. So basically, he's not a public seeker. He's calm. He's honest. He's not a foam beater, which is a fantastic German phrase, which I have no idea what it means. <laughs> um, he doesn't show up to social media or sports shows. He doesn't share his personal life. He's down to earth. He's reflective. He's not an alpha male. He communicates openly and honestly and comes across as authentic. His style is obviously well received by the players as you know they're having some results now. He's one of the new generation of coaches, which Labadia was not. Uh, because of his youth system background, he's flexible, willing to adapt, and he kind of has insight into how some of these players tick. First question to you is thought. Second question, does this remind you of anybody? Sounds a lot like uh, New Jersey-born Pellegrino Matarazzo. <laughs> it does. This is the second time in three weeks we've mentioned the same thing. Um, it sounds like he's a human, to use a word you just said. Yeah, he, he sounds like a regular dude who just happens to be really good at coaching football. And if that's the case, that's awesome. And that's a win for us. I just don't think the old school Nick Saban of Alabama or the Bill Belichick of New England or the Bruno Labadia of, boy, I just grouped those three together, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> the but the old school approach, I don't know how much that works. And it, anymore and i'm trying to think because my focus is always on the bundesliga but i'm looking at who the bundesliga coaches are and the guy who's struggling the most who's in the news the most is the Bayern coach and i don't know how much tugel is a soft feely hey let's talk this out coach and i think he's kind of that cross between the old generation and the new generation but more old and I'm not saying Honus is the answer to every problem we have, but like we've talked about, he's figured out what the strengths of this team are. And he's like, Hey, let's just go with it. And our strengths might not be that good, <laughs> but we're just going to go with it. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of think that's interesting that he's just a normal dude who knows what the strengths of this team are. I don't want to turn this into a Veril slam again, but it's like, I don't know how hard it was to figure out that we needed a coach who could coach young kids. When you have the, I think we're the youngest team in the league, or maybe the second youngest, um, it should be a no brainer that you need somebody who can talk to the youth, um, knows what a TikTok is, uh, <laughs> how to post on social media, but doesn't cause he doesn't care. And that's phenomenal. So I, I think the more we see a onus, the more I've, feel better about him being a good fit. Um, and I think that article lays out some really interesting stuff. I don't want a foam beater <laughs> running our club. <laughs> ah, all right, Matt. So let, let's get to our second point, which is Ricky Palm. So Ricky Palm put a very long tweet thread about the current state of the club. Now, if you don't know who Ricky Palm is, he's possibly the most neutral and most objective source for Valpe information in the Twitterverse. And he used to run a really great uh, podcast with Sebastian. They, you know, are taking a hiatus, you know, to get some things together and all that stuff. Uh, I don't know if you read or saw, Matt, any of this strand because it's in German. How's your German? 
Uh, it's weak. I'm in desperate need of practice. Well, yeah. So thankfully, we were able to translate some of this stuff. So here's Matt. We did this a few episodes ago and then a, a while ago before that where we got into data uh, legalese. And I think it was one of our lowest listened to pods <laughs> ever. So <laughs> let's see if we can repeat repeat that a little bit. So the reason why we're going to go through this news and headline is that it gets into the past of the club, the present of the club, and the future of the club from a guy who has connections with all of those factions of the club. So here we go. We mentioned a, a few weeks ago about an unknown Twitter person slash blogger who had posted some incendiary comments regarding the management, uh, how dysfunctional class vote was, Veril, the potential use of member data to find out who was being negative about the club. Well, Ricky commented on all this stuff. He says he talked to everyone from Klaus Vogt to Sven, from Hitzelsberger to members of the board, to club members, to people who work in the office. You know the person that he didn't talk to, Matt, though? The person we could trust who's, most? Who's that? Fritzel. I now discount everything this man has to say. <laughs> Ricky, Pom, come on, get your sources right. right. No Fritzel, no truth. Oh, that would be a great t-shirt. I love that idea. That'd actually be a terrible t-shirt. We'd have to fix it, but it would be bad. <laughs> but so here's what he I'd says. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, so would I. He attempts uh, to say that the attempts by the club to find out who was criticizing the club may be accurate, but doing so didn't really violate any laws, but it may have violated club truth, transparency, and that whoever did it you know, may need to walk away from the club. Uh, basically what happened is that this was explained in a couple of emails um, a couple of posts ago about how emails were being used to try to track club members back and forth. So, you know, Matt, I just want to let all the OFC members know that we have their emails. So are we doing anything nefarious with their data right now? So we're not um, because they willingly gave it to us. <laughs> we are in compliance with GDPR. <laughs> You're getting into my wheelhouse here. Oh, wow. California, uh, privacy laws as long as if they request it be removed we remove it wow so if you're an ofc member you send us our email we are currently selling it to the highest bidder right now well see that that yeah oh, that's why that we're okay because we're we're not using it for any sort of commercial purposes if we were we'd have to alert them to that ahead of time um the only thing because of the way that we're using this stuff the only thing that we're beholden to is residents of the state of california and then members of the european union we have to remove their data if requested to do so all right so anybody who's listening to this just stop listening to whatever matt just said and we're fine <laughs> it's all good all right so an example that ricky brought up was that a board member met with bart falco so bart falco is on twitter and is pretty critical of the club and they both agreed to meet during the home game. And this is an example of the club reaching out to a critic, trying to explain their reasoning for what they're doing. So Ricky says this is a wrong way to go, though. And I hope I'm translating this correctly. So, Ricky, if I'm not, I apologize. But I think that's what he said. Matt, do you think it's wrong for the club to reach out to critics and try to explain their point of view? I think it's OK if they go into it with an open mind to listening to what the critics are saying and not with the idea of we're going to meet with you to explain to you how wrong you are. If it's a, I think you're missing some context, let us fill you in, let's have a conversation, then that's totally fair. But context is really, really important here. Yeah, and I think that's where 
things kind of go sideways in this, and to your point. So back to the blog and the incendiary comment. So what was said about Klaus Vogt, he had a terrible working environment, stuff like that. Um, he was a tyrant. What Ricky Palm described is that it, after interviewing some of the people that work under him is that this is just a misunderstanding, that it was a case of, you know, common workplace disagreements that happened between management and the working people there, that it wasn't that big of a deal. But what he did say is that there is this case that when you press an issue, that there's this quote, if you're not with us, you're against us, end quote, type of mentality. And Ricky's comments on vote were this, is that he doesn't think he always is steering the club to Ricky's satisfaction, uh, that Veril is miscast in his role. From an American point of view, what do you think of these two guys? Uh, vote and Veryl. Vote's in charge of the club. Mm-hmm. Veryl's in charge of the team. What are your thoughts on both of these? I know this is a super tough question because we're so far away, but I think that's in a weird way what this podcast provides is a uniquely American perspective, which is often incorrect. <laughs> but <laughs> what do you think? So, I first of all, I love that we admit that we don't know a lot, um, mm-hmm. but that we're trying to figure this out. And that's probably what most of the people who listen to this, uh, Hannah's aside, are, <laughs> are in the same boat with us. So my my opinion, and also I don't know a whole lot about what's going on, um, but my opinion is that Boat's a problem because he's divisive. <clears throat> and if you have the leader of your club or your leader of any organization dividing an organization into different factions and pitting groups against each other, um, which is what it feels like he's doing with the you're with us or against us kind of attitude. Um, that's super problematic. Uh, from Veril, uh, he seems a little erratic. Like we haven't seen him in the job a long time, right? He's only been there a couple months. So we're operating with very limited data, but the, uh, the firing or the hiring of um, Bruno felt like it kind of was a decision he made before he got here and mm-hmm. stuck to regardless of the the situation and the facts, which is something we criticize Chris Furch of doing with the football all the time. <laughs> so we're being consistent. Um, and then the unceremonious firing of Bruno when things were looking really bad, which I think ultimately was a good decision. But the optics of it are, we made a choice before we got here and figured things out. That choice turned out to be catastrophically wrong. And we fired our guy and hired a new guy. But the public comments were, we made this decision because we made it. And never a, yeah, we didn't read the room. We didn't have a full uh, grip on everything. Just, I don't feel great about them either of them as leaders uh, of an organization in general. And I'm really not feeling great about them as leaders of my favorite football team. It's tough to be sympathetic to Bruno Labadia. Totally. But the way he was hung out to dry those 48 hours after the Union Berlin loss, that was brutal. That was rough that he was running the Sunday practice and Monday, he was fired after they had already hired Honus. I'm sorry. That's just, 
I don't know what's happening because we, like we said, I love that's our cover, by the way. So if yeah. we actually meet these people in person, we could be like, oh, I was so far away. I didn't know. <laughs> but it's like, it, it was just, it was a sad and sympathetic figure that I was seeing on Sunday that I was run, willing to run out of town on Saturday because they weren't treating him with the respect he deserved. And he deserved to know exactly where he stood at that point. And it, we weren't able to, to give him that. And I think that's my biggest concern with vote and Verrill more so Verrill is that the communication and you and I have mentioned this many, many, many episodes is so bad for a professional yeah. dude. And that's what Ricky says is that Ricky uh, believes that Verrill would be fantastic in the marketing department, which I a hundred percent agree with, but being in charge of the sporting department, why did we hire this guy? I don't understand. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a great question. And the the firing of Bruno is, is a great point. If they knew they were going to get rid of him, they should have done it early, like right when they made the decision and have somebody be interim mm-hmm. and just like deal with the fact that you've got an interim coach for a week or two, or in this case, a handful of days. Like it's, uh, it's not a good look for the management of the club to have done that to somebody as established as Bruno Labadia. It's not a good look to do it to anybody, mm-hmm. um, but especially somebody who deserves some respect. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm totally with you. The barrel just seems miscast. He might be a phenomenal mind in marketing. He seems like he's out of his depth to run the whole thing. So when the board decided to get rid of Sven, so bringing Sven back into this, uh, what happened is, according to Ricky, is that the people in the power positions didn't understand his medium-term goals. Uh, his transfers were criticized. They didn't immediately work out. And there's a number of players on loan right now that aren't working out you know, with the club. Um, and calls for experienced players like Genki Haraguchi and Gil Diaz started to get louder and louder. But that was against what Sven wanted to do because there's not enough money to buy those players those players aren't going to increase in value. So you're not going to reap more money from them and it's going to stop youth players from actually playing. So I really don't want to talk about quote unquote, the way anymore because it's gone. There's no, there's no point talking about it. it those, those days are gone. Um, but I do just for a second want to bring it up is that's really disappointing because if you didn't know what Sven's plan was, where were you the three years when Sven was here? If you didn't agree with it, I'm totally okay with that. There are a lot of ways to win in the Bundesliga. But it's not like Sven said on day one, we're going to do this, and then day 900, oh, you know what? We're going to do this. He had the same plan the entire time he was here. Why is anybody shocked that some of these transfers that you get for 2 million bucks aren't working out, but some Kalijic are working out. I, I just, that's the thing I'm disappointed with. Yeah. And Sven seemed to have a really realistic view of what was going on. We're not going to be out here bidding $20 million for players. So we've got to take some flyers on these 2 million and under 2 million guys and hope that we find a couple diamonds in the rough and recognize that some of these dudes are going to be busts and that sucks, but that's the reality of it. We're not playing with the same money that Bayern Munich is. And so what Ricky goes on to say is that because people were disagreeing with the way the plan, 
as early as 2021, so last fall or two falls ago, there was discord and there were questions about getting rid of Sven, but nobody wanted to pull the plug. And this goes back to what you and I said, and just really quickly, if, if Veryl took over in 2022 and he didn't believe in Sven, just pull the plug, just do it. Yeah. Nobody's going to like it, whether it's in August or whether it's in November. Just do it. I think at the end of the day, that's the biggest criticism on Barrel is that it seems like every idea he has when it comes to the sporting aspect takes forever. Yeah, and this isn't an industry where you can sit and really marinate and stuff for too long. You've got to make quick decisions, uh, hopefully using with complete sets of data. But honestly, sometimes you're going to have incomplete data we don't know if Sven's plan would have worked out and there's no way of knowing it we knew where it was and honestly it was around where he said it was going to be 13th place is our first place right so <laughs> um yeah the fact that they let him or kept him when they knew they didn't want him uh that just sucks let's play a little devil's advocate here so one of the things that Ricky criticized Veril for was losing Sven, bringing in Bruno, and then not getting rid of Bruno soon enough. Uh, Veril tried to convince Ricky, because Ricky Palm talked to all these people, apparently, that they were better off without Sven because Sven was too focused on youth and the future and not the present. But Ricky didn't buy it. And I love this idea. Let, let's play a little devil's advocate here. Is that what if Seru Jirasi had been healthy when Bruno Labadia was coached these 11 matches, he was in charge that he only won one. Do you think had he won one, two more, we'd be talking about a different team right now? We might be, but let's not forget that Labadia was trying to make Stuttgart play a way that didn't fit the personnel that he had on the roster. And just having one more striker doesn't fix Anton at right back. <laughs> so the and, and not to pick on Anton or beat that dead horse more but that's just it's a it's a very clear and easy example to point to of this just not being a great idea yeah and I I don't know if if you're gonna say the team is better off without Sven um okay what is your plan then that's one of the things that we've been really frustrated about Sen was always very clear about what his plan is. We have no idea what Veril's plan is. The plan can't be we're going to buy more expensive players and see what happens. We don't have the money to do that. Mercedes-Benz Bank is talking about dropping us as a, you know, not being our primary sponsor anymore. We're in financial trouble. They just dumped every spare cent they had into refurbishing a big chunk of the stadium. Where is this money going to come from? Sven had a plan based on the financial realities of the club and was attempting to execute on it. We have no idea what Beryl's plan is because he hasn't told us. You bring up a great point because we, we were thinking about what we should talk about during news and highlights. Cause one of the other headlines was the number of players that are on loan in different leagues and the number of players that we have on loan with the club in particular, say Rujarasi, we all know Tiago Tomas is gone. We can't afford him. And his form has dipped a little bit, but it goes exactly the way you said. We don't have the money to do 
anything. And that's something we'll do for another episode is how many of those guys we're going to hold on to. And I know that the answer is it's none of them because, you know, we have, we have no cash to do this. So let's wrap up with the final thought here is Ricky ends by saying, and we talked about this a couple episodes ago that he doesn't think the emergency meeting is worth it because it's going to leave the club with no one in charge. And the people that want to do this don't have anybody who is going to take place and they're not being transparent. And that's his big issue is transparency on both sides. And I think that's where we can end this segment is that neither the club nor the critics of the club are being transparent in what is happening. And that is where Sven was really good. He was transparent and vote and Veril are not the people who are bringing up this petition to have an emergency meeting are not. And that leaves people like you and me who are somewhat in the middle because we don't understand exactly what's going on, but we love this club in a tough spot because we don't know exactly where we should go with this because we can see both sides of it. I would like to have an emergency meeting to have Beryl explain his vision for the club. No voting, just bring, bring the people up, get the brass up in front of everybody, do a, a 20 minute PowerPoint, Here's what our plan is. Here's how we're going to execute. This is why we're making these decisions so that people know. And then give members an opportunity to ask questions and to get concerns addressed. And if we're getting good answers from that, then we can all feel a lot better about things and walk away having more transparency into what's going on. And if we aren't, well, then maybe we start thinking about voting all the scumbags out. <laughs> Do you hear he's going to be on Sports Show, the German uh, show, again in a week or two? No. <laughs> yeah. So get ready for some more Twitter fire after he makes some comments of nothing at that point. Speaking of comments Ooh. of nothing, hey, it's time for the OFC comments. So once again, we rip on the people that support us the most here. All right. David said, yeah. <laughs> David said he's relieved to come out of the match. Uh, with the Charleston Chiefs of the Bundesliga with a point. He said it's a slap, slap shot reference and that, Matt, you would recognize that more than most of us. So do you recognize that reference? Heck yes, I do, and I absolutely love it. Well done. <laughs> Is Augsburg pretty much the uh, Charleston Chiefs? thousand percent. Should people watch that? Uh, what is the movie that comes out of? Everybody should watch Slapshot. It's a 1970s cult classic, uh, arguably the best hockey movie ever made. Go watch it. If you haven't seen it, Travis, go watch it this week. If you need a copy, I will personally mail you my own (laughs) DVD of it so you can see it. You need to see it that bad. Everybody who's listening to this, if you don't know who Slapshot is and who Augsburg is, they're the perfect uh, tandem for this. But Dave says, but I'm not happy about it. Really, it felt like we should have had three points here and hope we're not looking back at the match with regrets at the end of the season. Matt, really simply, half full, half empty, the Augsburg match. I feel like we should have had three points. I'm going to go half full on this one. I mean, I we went on the road against a club who plays a style that we don't play well against. We got a point in a comeback style. We didn't look good for most of that match. I'm going to say half full. I think big picture, you're right, half full. This is, we're still, we continue to show momentum in the right direction. But in uh, under a microscope, this one game in a bottle, yeah, we should have taken three points. Yeah, it's, it's hard to argue with that. Here's what's awesome about this club, though. 
is that Dave, who is usually super positive, is negative. Tim, who is usually super negative, is positive. So here's what Tim said. Endo once again showed why he's captain of Valpe. Three exclamation marks. He ran and ran. Offense, defense, offense, up and down the pitch the whole time. And, of course, he scores an important goal. Zagadou is playing better for us. He lost his running all over the place. I can't wait for the matches against Gladbach and Leverkusen, even though they're going to be tough. We should be in a good position if we can beat Hertha and Hoppenheim. And, yes, I meant Hoppenheim. He's <laughs> ripping on their billionaire open uh, owner there. Uh, Augsburg didn't have a lot of chances. It was another comeback. So it's same question. You know, Dave's negativity versus Tim's positivity. What is happening with this world? Uh, who are you having to drink with, Dave or Tim? I want to drink with both of them because I agree with both. And I think it'd be fun to sit down and, and watch them hash it out. But I think it sucks that we didn't get three points and we should have taken three points. But also, as I said, the bigger picture here is that we're showing positive momentum. And I feel like, as you alluded to, we don't match up well against Augsburg. And we match up a lot better against Hoppenheim. And uh, it, it's looking more promising moving forward. I have more uh, positive feelings about Hoppenheim and Gladbach than I did before the weekend. With a little more hindsight, somebody from the OFC asked, how much were injuries in the first part of this season a factor in our early results and Pellegrino's departure? I actually want to shift this to Bruno's departure. So you sort of mentioned it earlier, but Seiru Jirasi seems to be the key to our offense, right? Were there any players that were out under Reno's tenure or Bruno's tenure that could have changed things? I think Seiru's the easy answer. I think you answered it perfectly earlier, is that even if Seiru was up there, we were still going to run a terrible system under Bruno. Is this a case of injuries or is this just, just a terrible season? If we're looking all the way back to Reno, I would I would like to see the numbers on how many players have been injured under every coach's tenure, injured or out due to illness for the last five years. And I would bet you uh, a nice bottle of scotch that Reno is way ahead of everybody else because <laughs> we had a we had a spell there where either everybody was injured or had covid or the flu went through the clubhouse and it was just brutal for a long, long time. And so Brino, we didn't get to see him much with the full squad at, at his attention. Um, I think with, with Bruno, it's a little different because as we mentioned earlier, Bruno was playing the team in a style that didn't match the personnel he had, regardless of if they were out injured or not. I think if Jirasi's back, that's a net positive no matter what. Jirasi is the most skilled offensive player on our team. That's a no-brainer. That's like asking the if the Bulls, the 90s Chicago Bulls were better <laughs> with Michael Jordan. Yes. Um, I don't know if they're better, if we're better enough with Jirasi under Labadia for it to make a difference, given his ham-fisted way of trying to get us to play. Yeah, I don't know if the Bulls would be better in the 90s if, Phil Jackson had Tony Kukoc shoot the ball all the time instead of, you know, Michael Jordan there. But yeah, that was kind of Bruno there. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think you said it perfectly actually, is that just Bruno ran a system. This club isn't prepared to run. And I, I do think Bruno's a good coach. I don't think I, I feel bad for Bruno on one level because this could have been a great redemption story. Like you and I mentioned a while back and it turned out not to be, and this could be Bruno's last stand. 
I don't know what team would want to give him a, a go again unless you had a very particular set of players. But I think that's the point is he runs a system with a very particular set of players and this club doesn't have it. And that's on Vero. That's not on Bruno. Yeah. In my I, I think Bruno is a guy you bring in at the end of the season in the spring and you give him the summer, a full transfer window, a full uh, preseason camp to prep the guys, do what he wants to do and let them loose. Um, I think bringing him in after the winter transfer window, basically after the winter transfer window closed or halfway through it um, is not setting him up for success, but is it's put everybody in a bad position. And Bruno not being willing to be more flexible given the situation is really kind of a black mark on him. All right, last two questions here in comments. Is the OFC should pay for Schwabians to put Labadia next to a powerful fan so his come over is blown open? Oh, Flabby, you don't have to put your name next to your statements. We know exactly <laughs> who you are. Uh, man, I mentioned we are not going to comment on people's looks or hairstyles here. We are not in uh, any way comfortable enough to do that here. But uh, is there any, as we move past this, Labadie has got to be feeling pretty bad, right? That You'd think so. Right. So is there any well wishes you want to throw his way if he's drinking too much one night and he actually listens to this podcast? I I hope he finds another team that's down near the bottom of the league that needs his help and that he's put in a better position. Like I said, a team that barely avoids relegation, that's not us. Um, <laughs> they can hire him as soon as the season ends. Uh, maybe Bochum, uh, Augsburg. Mm-hmm. Uh, Augsburg's already running a four-four-two, so they're set up well for mm-hmm. it. So find a team uh, in dire straits at the end of the season, looking for a big bump. Give him a full off season to see what he can do and go forth. It would be a shame if his last run um, was with this terrible setup. You know what the joke is now is that who he's going to take over? What's the number one club that's struggling the most in all the headlines right now? Us? No, we're actually in a much better form than Bayern Munchen. The joke is he's going to take over the Bavarians. That would be absolutely amazing. And they go 5-0 and oh the rest of the way. Absolutely. All right, so, Matt, we're going to let you go because we got Ted on speed dial coming up here. But really quick, we got Gladbach coming up on the weekend. What are your thoughts on that match? Um, it's at home. What do you think? Stuttgart, Stuttgart by a billion. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Stuttgart by a billion. <laughs> Schmoodkart by yeah. Gladbach's been been stumbling. They've got two draws and then a win and then a draw and a loss against a very good Union Berlin team. But I feel like they're stumbling a bit, and I feel like we're starting to get our legs underneath us, and it's at Mercedes-Benz Arena. So I like the home team. We've never lost under Honus, so we'll never, ever lose under Honus. Never again. Never again. All right, Matt. Hey, thanks so much for joining us this time. Um, I'm going to go talk to Ted now. What do you think about that? Thanks, Travis, and screw you, Ted. <laughs> you bastards. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, everybody, welcome to part four predictions. Usually we do predictions with Matt or with Jeff, but we've got a special, not really guest, because he's been on the show before with us. This is his fifth or sixth time on the show. We got Ted 
Ted, how have you been? We haven't talked to you in a bit. I'm great. I am great. I am super hyped, as you can imagine. I think this is show number five for me, the Dino Mavropanos show uh, episode. Well done. And he'll be coming back against uh, Gladbach, and you'll be, as it turns out, back against Gladbach as well. So that's why we're having you here, because if you don't know from following us on Twitter, Ted is heading to Stuttgart, is heading to Germany, is heading to the actual match itself. So we thought, who better to uh, talk about the match than, than with Ted? Yeah, I am incredibly excited. This will actually be my first time in Neckerstadion. Uh, it's it's going to be a blast for you. So before we get into that, though, which we'll do a deep dive on, let's just, you know, we haven't talked to you in a bit. So what are your quick thoughts? Any of these hot topics? You got Val at Bay in particular. You got the Augsburg match, which we had the 1-1 draw, which looked disappointing. But as Schalke is currently losing to Freiburg as we record this, it's looking like, you know, glass might be half uh, full, as we talked about earlier. Uh, thoughts on Honus? Thoughts on what turned out to be a great week of Schadenfreude, at least for us on the table. <laughs> yeah, talk about a talk about a change from last weekend where the boys fought back and got an absolutely incredible result, uh, but then all of the other results went against us, and everyone else who was in the relegation scrap uh, got points as well. Um, yeah, I mean, this weekend we only got one. We'd love to have come out of that with three. I know we were favored in the match, all of that. Um, but it felt like a deserved point A, um, and B, you know, I think from where I was sitting and, and I don't know if you felt the same way, but it was like, when you're staring a zero in the face, <laughs> that fight back, um, and strange, strange endo goal felt like it made all the difference in the world. And now we've got, you know, Schalke down, everyone else losing so I, i'll take the one point when everyone else is getting zero it's amazing what being reasoned and calm and thoughtful and analytical can actually do as opposed to the way we actually respond to most events in our lives but speaking of the, the events though i really want to dive into this so everybody knows that you're going to be hopping on a plane soon heading over to uh stuttgart so let's talk about that trip for a sec so first off if real quick let us know you know where are you going over there yeah, so a little bit of background is um, my brother actually lives in Germany and has been over there for 11 years now. Oh, wow. So he's married to a German woman. Um, he moved to her small village where she grew up um, in the Rhineland, not terribly far from Aachen. Um, and they've got two kids um, who have German passports, German citizenship, thick German accents, the whole shebang. Um, all that to say, he's never moving back to the States. Um, so pandemic being what it was, I have not been able to see him as often as I would like. He and I are two years apart, um, very, very close growing up. Um, and so he did actually make it to the States real briefly earlier this year, but I picked up like this freak, weird sickness um, where I totally lost my voice. I was like a corpse. Um, <laughs> so it was like horrible visit from that perspective. So um, his wife, my sister-in-law reached out to me. He's turning 40 on May 1st. And she said, hey, um, it has been your brother's dream to go to a Michelin starred restaurant and to take you with him. Um, I would like to do that for his 40th birthday. The missing piece is you flying from Cincinnati over to Germany. Um, so I, you know, rationalized this in my own head, came up with all of the arguments that we, that we, uh, that married men come up with uh, to their spouses um, to justify spending a thousand dollars on flying over to Germany for six days. Um, 
And my my incredibly gracious wife said yes. Um, so I'm heading over there doing 40th birthday with him. Um, and he doesn't know any of the plans. So one of them is I confirmed with my sister-in-law, can I take your husband down to Stuttgart for a match um, and do that as a surprise? Oh, nice. It sounds like it's a birthday present for both you guys, as it turns out. Yes. In fact, yes. So how long are you going to be uh, in Germany in total? And then how long are you going to be in Stuttgart? I will be in Germany total for about six days. I, I will be in Stuttgart for a grand total of 23 hours. Oh, you've got it down to the minute. Wow. Are, are you going to have a chance, you think, to hit up any of the uh, the local areas, any of the bars, dining uh, spots, any of the, the Schlossplatz, any of that stuff? I am hoping Schlossplatz definitely. We're staying fairly central. Um, we did get a hotel for the night, um, so we'll be kind of in the thick of things um, I am just kind of trying to juggle as much as I can possibly fit in. We get in at 11 a.m. to the Hofbahnhof, um, Hauptbahnhof, um, and then the match is 3.30. Okay. Um, I haven't been to Stuttgart since Volksfest in 2006, um, so it'll be my first visit in almost 20 years, and I'm going to see um, a friend who I did my student exchange with I'm going to meet up with him for lunch and then I'll try. My hope is to try to get over to um, Palm Beach for the Becker Fund um, pregame. Um, but I also saw that John B is going to be there simultaneously. <laughs> so I need to DM this man um, and perhaps figure something out there, too. Yeah, we had a couple of the OFC members who were one jealous of you and two, uh, one or two of them, John B being one of them, is going to be over there. So I'll have to hook you guys up with email so you can uh, uh, see if. Uh, you can catch a pint over there. That would be awesome. I do have a large suitcase. I know that was one of David's concerns. Um, my brother is a massive uh, craft beer fan. Mm. I know that we as Americans think Germans have the, you know, have the best beer in the world and, and all of that. But when you live over there for 11 years, you start to miss American hoppy beers. Um, so I have to pack a case of beer for him as a surprise, um, and therefore I will have quite a bit of spare weight <laughs> and space in my luggage. So, jersey requests, if anybody needs the diversity kit, anything like that, let me know, and uh, and I'll use my my five percent discount at the hand shop. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. So, Ted, we've covered why you're going, how long you're going, uh, where in Stuttgart you're going. Uh, but what we're really interested in is, is the game day experience. And you mentioned earlier a place called Palm Beach, which doesn't sound the most German of all the places you could go. But apparently it does sound very Stuttgart. Uh, you put something out on Twitter asking for some help. And it sounds like a lot of the people are saying the same thing. Palm Beach is the place to go. So what is up with that place? Yeah, so I, I crowdsourced this and um, in about an hour, just an hour before you and I jumped on, I received something like over 100 responses from friendly uh, members of our fantastic fan base on what to eat, what to drink, where to go. Um, there is not a lot of consensus about uh, uh, within Swabia, so much amazing food, but one of the unifying factors seems to be that Palm Beach is the place to go. Um, apparently it is right by the stadium, just behind the Konstadter Kuba. Mm. Um, and it sounds like it's kind of an outdoor, uh, space. I think when I've looked it up online, it looks like fake palm trees and stuff like that. <laughs> um, given that my brother lives in the Rhineland and sees the sun all of maybe two weeks a year. Um, I think this will, will hit it on the spot. That's awesome. When, when I was lucky enough to go in 2018, we went to Carl's Bra House, which is a pretty popular 
I guess, almost chain restaurant that's right in the plots there. But it gets pretty good reviews uh, from the locals as well as people coming in. And then we took the uh, train to the stadium and kind of caught the whole atmosphere around there. Never made it to Palm Beach. It sounds like they've got some kind of uh, beer token contribution thing you do. Yes. So I think they've got something called Becker Farms, um, which I assume if if my German translation is correct, that it's the deposit you pay on a pitcher of beer at the bar. Um, I am assuming that they collect that deposit and send it back um, and to the group and allow them to disperse it to some sort of a good cause. Oh, okay. I didn't know if it was, you know, Becker pause sounds like something to free Boris Becker from, you know, prison where he's at. So that's a good cause. That's, that's just your, your tennis adult brain talking now. <laughs> well, it sounds like, so you're going to go to Palm beach, which sounds like just, it'll be a great uh, people watching, getting to, to see some people there. Um, if nobody's seen Ted in real life, it will be impossible to miss him. He stands about 13 feet tall. So <laughs> he'll be out there somewhere easy to see. So before you even get to that point though, you had to buy the tickets, uh, get seats in the arena. So for those people who haven't made the trip over, but are thinking about making the trip over, how hard was it to get tickets? How expensive were the tickets? And where are you sitting in the uh, arena? Surprisingly easy, surprisingly inexpensive. The one pro tip I would say is if you if you are listening to this podcast and you haven't talked with Travis about how to sign up for a club membership, it is 60 euros well spent, especially if you um, if you buy stuff from the pro shop. I think it's a 5% rebate. Um, I think every once in a while, they'll throw you like an additional sort of discount um, as well. And the, uh, now that I'm going to my first match, I think the best thing for me is it gets you access to um, the second day of ticket sales. So if you're an OFC Falafé Americana uh, member, you can get it on the first day also if you want to try to get into the Konstadt or Kurva potentially. But if you're a member of the club, you get access on day two. So um, I was just getting emails from the club about um, when the, the home game tickets went on sale and had it bookmarked in my calendar and, and hopped right in and, um, and was able to get a, uh, a ticket. And for those who haven't been yet, but are used to going to sporting events in the States, it is like stupid inexpensive compared to an NFL game. Um, you know, like, so I am, you may even see me on TV, hopefully if I'm lucky enough. So uh, <laughs> my brother and I are going to be second row midfield um, and the tickets were 80 euros and yeah. there's no BS Ticketmaster sorts of fees and stuff like that. Um, it is 80 euros straight up. Wow. We, I, now this is 2018. I think it was about 45 or 50 euros for us, but we sat probably in the second tier on the, if you are looking at the curve on the right side of them. So we were able to see the curve and uh, from basically where the TV cameras show the games on ESPN plus when they occasionally show the games on ESPN plus. And, uh, but we were pretty far off, but we had a great view of the curve, great view of the pitch. Um, and I was really surprised at how cheap the tickets were compared to NFL. Um, and also compared to the, the food that you would get from the beer and the, uh, the verse and all that stuff. Um, so I'm super excited for you, super jealous of, of, 
what's going down there. Do you have any good luck items you're taking with you? Are, if we're looking for you in the stands, are we going to see, oh, there's that kit or there's that scarf? What are you looking to wear? Oh, man, this is this is another idea that I should have crowdsourced. I should have <laughs> taken a picture of all of my jerseys and gotten <laughs> uh, gotten user feedbacks. Um, I'm inclined, I guess, since it's a home match to go uber traditional home kit, white, red, red bristring. Um, and so I've got a Santiago Asuka Seabar um, jersey from, let's see, 2018, I guess it was the 120. 125th anniversary kit. So 2018, yeah, 2018, 2019, one of those two years. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking I will probably wear that. Um, and then I've got to put my brother in a kit as well. Um, <laughs> he is not a Stuttgart fan per se, um, not a Bundesliga fan per se, but he's been to some matches. He's actually been to the only other match that I've been to, which was away at Wolfsburg. Um, and he did wear a kit for that match. Uh, the 2000, one 2002 like old school debbie oh. tell gray sleeves yeah. um we're talking like kevin karani years <laughs> um so uh i'll bring him maybe my maybe my red legendo kit uh, or something like that to wear um, i don't think you can go wrong with any of those that's gonna be uh, that's gonna be pretty sweet there i did notice when the one time i was there it was pretty much there were some outliers but there was pretty much everybody was in the white and red and uh there was a lot of that. I noticed it was bizarre. There weren't as many names on the back of kits like we have in the States. It was a lot more either blank or they were personal names or um, just Stuttgart, stuff like that. So kind of a different uh, atmosphere there, but it was a little bit colder. So we all had hoodies on too. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. Well, I guess also, I think in soccer, it's such a transient sport and we are such a transactional club that I think we've all been burned enough by like <laughs> getting the kit. I mean, Oscar Sebar is a perfect example. I was like, oh, I love this diminutive, strong-willed little Argentine uh, central defender. And then boom, he's a heritage player suddenly. Yeah, it's Fritzl is pretty much the only name we should ever put on any of the back of our kits at this point. Yes, yes. Awesome. So you're going to be the match. You're going to be really close to the match. So let's just dive right into that really quick, all right? So we're hosting Gladbach on Saturday. It's at 9.30 our time. It's 3.30 for Ted's time. Hopefully the trains arrive on time and you get there to the match and all that stuff. I've heard some uh, Derek Ray. Yeah, they were on strike last week, as I understand it. Um, yeah, I, I hear the Germans are forgetting that they're not French. Um, and so <laughs> hopefully they get over that. Yeah, hopefully the trains get there on time and you can catch the match. So in the last 13 or so, we're 8, 5, and 10 against them. So it's relatively even. We lost 3-1 to one in the first round, though, with Vimmer in November. It didn't seem like it was that close of a match. We gave up an early goal in the fourth minute, another goal in the 25th minute. Tiago got us back into it. And then we were chasing the match the next 60 minutes until we let in, you know, the, the goal that sealed it, you know, in the 94th minute. Oddly, the stats were in our favor in that game. So maybe that bodes well going forward. And the thing that's really weird with Gladbach is they're 10th on the table, but the second half of their season has been rough. They've only got three wins in that second half. They've got losses to Hertha, draws to Schalke, but then they beat Bayern and they beat a surging Wolfsburg. They're only one, three and one in their last five. And they're, they haven't won on the road in their last five on the road. They don't have a lot to play for. Uh, they're pretty much out of Europa League and they're pretty much out of the relegation consideration. So who knows what this team is going to show up with. When I say Borussia Mönchengladbach to you, what are your thoughts on this team? Uh, just from a historical perspective, what are your thoughts on the team coming to the stadium? It's really awesome you're going to be able to see two traditional clubs go at it 
on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Um, this isn't like I think as Americans, we you know we think of like Bayern, Borussia Dortmund, um, like and and I think a lot of fans don't know that like Schalke, who's mired in the relegation fight right now, like that's a traditional club. Munchen Gladbach is a super traditional club. Werder Bremen. Um, so I think it'll be really cool to see one of the, like the original kind of old boy clubs, um, the Foles, I think is their nickname. And they're actually not far from where my, my brother and I will be taking the train from. We're going to take it from Cologne. So I'm hoping that I'm not on like a football special, uh, train <laughs> with a bunch of away fans. Um, I will be rocking my kit. So, um, yeah, we'll see if you see me on TV with black eyes or something like that, that's, that's what's happened. Um, yeah, I'm excited. The thing that concerns me about them is they're a pacey team, and I feel like that's been troublesome for us to deal with in the past. Like, Turam and Playa can fly, um, and seeing what happened with Danielle Malin running all over us with uh, Dortmund, it concerns me a little bit, that speed on the wing um, and them kind of outrunning our guys. Um, but that said – the spirit is good amongst the team. And for the first time in forever, it feels like we're healthy finally. Like Dinos will be back for this one. Um, yeah, Girassi, I, I, I feel good. Yeah, it's it's going to be kind of a wild game. I think you don't might be out because of the yellow card accumulation. But outside of that, everybody is is That's right. You'll probably see an Anton, Dan Axel, Dino in the back there. Um and who knows, Danny Axel, he's good for one mistake a game. So we'll see if he can get his <laughs> out of the way early in this one. Um, what are your thoughts on on that match? I mean, I'm a little concerned because there's really no pressure on Gladbach. They're just playing for contracts, I think. Uh, they want to finish strong like most clubs do. And I think Gladbach is a club that isn't happy finishing 10th where they're at right now. So maybe there is some internal pressure for them. But we played really well at home of late, which is – shocking to say considering how things have gone lately uh, with honus we're on this nice run of of belief and i actually think the guys will play better against a pc team than we did against an augsburg that was just mucking everything up like uh, uh, matt and i were talking about so who do you think the favorite in this match is the home team or the away team and what do you uh what are you thinking about this one what do you think the score is going to be and why I think it's, I suspect betting odds, it's going to be a half a goal one way or the other. I would suspect, um, I could honestly see that I could see Vegas going either way. Really. Um, I like what Matt said last week in terms of Vegas being after Stuttgart wallets, we've got a big fan base. Um, maybe they can bait us to bet. Um, I think regardless of where Vegas shifts their line on this, I like, I like our chances. Um, I really like the way that we're playing under Honus. Um, I think he, he understands the personnel that we have, the way that the roster was built. He coaches um, to our, to our strengths. Um, I think I, I like the guys that we have able to come off the bench late. I think, um, and you guys talked about this last week as well, like uh, Silas Koulibaly, um, having them be able to come on in the 65th, 70th minute or halftime, like, um, like against Augsburg, like that's a, that's a game changer. Um, so I like us in this one. I like us two to one. 
Um, I think we'll put I think we'll put more than one goal in in front of our home fans. Um, I mean, the like we talk about it all the time, but like the fans are so incredible. Um, and I know that that is not just this season, but, um, you know, with where we've been in the table, it's it's incredible to see the support of the fans. And I think the players will reward the curve for that. I'll put a tough one on you here. The easy answer would be Seiru. If I have to take Seiru out of the equation for you, which is yeah. almost impossible to do. That math doesn't work if you do it, but let's 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 play the game. I've been the one who's been advocating. Like I, I'm, I'm big on Fognamon right now. Um, I am very high on that man. Um, I realized that in order to get one goal, he needs five chances. Um, <laughs> but I think he will put himself in the box in dangerous enough positions to be able to. Um, to to do that and and get off um get off the blocks for us the way this season has gone especially the last couple of seasons having a one out of five chance is actually amazing for this club right now and speaking of vegas he's kind of our hot hand so i think that's a great uh, a great call there um so we wish you nothing but the best in this match we hope that your prediction is correct in this match um anybody who's listening who is a- across the pond right now and is going to be there at palm beach or at the game, like I said, Ted stands about 14 feet tall. I think he's grown a foot since I've talked to him. Um, he's got a bunch of OFC and podcast stickers to hand out because I don't understand him, Ted. I don't think you understand, but the Germans love stickers. Uh, so we've got some stickers to give them. Yes, as we found out in Austin. Yes. So look look for any stop sign around, around the city of Stuttgart, and hopefully there will be one of our stickers on it. It's like a third grade class all over the place. Uh, it's a huge weekend, not just – you know, for our club, and not uh, not just for you, but Bochum is hosting Dortmund on Friday. Uh, Saturday, it's obviously us. You got Leipzig is hosting Hoffenheim. Schalke, which is struggling, is hosting uh, Bremen. And then you've got Sunday, you've got Bayern, which is suddenly falling apart. I think all of us would be happy about, but they've got Hertha on Sunday. So we need them to get their act together for at least one, one game. There's a lot of pressure on you, Ted. When Steven went for the Leipzig match earlier in the season – uh, they were able to eke out a draw, and so far the OFC has not seen a loss. We got that draw when they came to Texas. We got the win, which you were there for. I mean, I don't want to say this is all on you, but this is all on you. I, I don't know that I like that pressure um, <laughs> one one bit. Um, but hopefully, yeah, hopefully we can keep going with the hot hands. That's right. What would Santi Escobar say? That's all you got to think about. <laughs> there, there we go. <laughs> Probably why the hell did I ever leave Stuttgart for Hertha? Right. Then he'd probably fight somebody because that guy was feisty. (laughs) Yes. Yes, he was. (laughs) All right. Ted, it was so great to talk to you. Hopefully you can come back with some great stories. I know you will. Hopefully you come back with three points. Fingers crossed on that one. Uh, Have a great trip, man. Bring us some good luck and can't wait to hear from you again. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Travis. Thanks for the recommendations um, uh, in Stuttgart. I am incredibly excited.